Okay, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for everything that you do for us, for the paths of life that you have laid out before us, and that you offer to guide our steps if we, if we allow you. God, as we go and we hear these prayer requests, God, we just lift them up to you. And then we also lift up the ones that were kept quiet, the ones that we hold dearly. No matter the reason, whether it's we're embarrassed to share them or we think people don't care, the awesome part is you do. And you love us no matter what they are, no matter what it is that we're asking for. And so, God, we pray to thank you for that, for being a loving father that cares for us deeply. God, as we go into the message today, I just ask that you would speak truth uh, through me, that the Spirit would be the one doing the talking, and I'm simply the vessel. God, we pray to thank you for today and this message, and we just pray this in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we just finished our... Uh, vision series, and we were going to get started into the book of Luke, but we're going to hold off on that for a little bit. Um, We're going to do Luke around Christmas instead, and so I was thinking about what I wanted to do today, and I'm going to take a step out and say this is this is a big faux pas, something that's that's not widely accepted, but it should be. We're going to be talking about emotions today, and uh, especially for a guy to be up here talking about emotions. That's, that's something for the record books, I think. Um, I should have prayed that I can make it through this without choking up, but I should be able to. I think we'll be all right. Um, so we're going to do this one today, and then we're going to jump into First and Second Peter up until right before Christmas, and then we're going to start Luke right around Christmas. So before we get started today, I've, I've been reading a book. It's something that I've, I've started to do recently, uh, which has been really cool because in, in looking at myself and knowing how I need to grow not only as a person, but as a pastor and a spiritual leader, a lot of things start coming to the surface because in everyday life, you can look at yourself and be like, oh, I'm not too bad of a person. But when you're leading people to figure out what their salvation and their eternal life is, you got to look with a a deeper lens. Um, And oftentimes that lens is God, which goes really deep and uh, you can't escape it. And so things come to the surface that you never thought needed to come to the surface. And I've shared in the last couple of weeks about looking at things emotionally and and my inability to be happy or allowing myself to be happy. And so I bought a book um, that is what really made me come to terms with doing this sermon. Um, And it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scarzo. Uh, and it's been really, really good uh, so far. I've been listening to it daily. Uh, I've gone through it once. I'm on my second go-through now. And what's been really cool is the practicality of the book. Now, most emotional stuff, at least for us guys, when it's brought up, it's like a fairy tale. Like, sure, it's there, but it's not really there is is how it often gets put or what we, we spiritualize it too much and we come up with an excuse or a reasoning behind why it's there instead of just accepting the fact that it's there and it needs to be faced. And 
so when he started going through this, it was like a punch in my face because it's what I did for a long time. And, you know, going through military and, and needing to prove toughness and, and, you know, growing up in a tough family, needing to hide uh, emotional uh, baggage and all that was something that I became accustomed to. And so in reading this book, it's, it's, I'm glad I didn't start with the book. I'm glad God started the refinement process before the book, but it's given me a lens to look at just how damaged emotionally I was. It allowed me to become more aware. And so today, what I want to do is kind of in reference with this book, but more so a personal take, um, on one, where I am spiritually, but two, I think we all fall into we all fall into a category in some sense of being emotionally unhealthy, spiritually. Now, as a person, you could be the most emotionally mature person ever, but you could still be emotionally unhealthy spiritually. And that was something that I didn't know was possible. Um, I didn't think emotions really held that much value to my emotional well-being or to my spiritual well-being. And what's funny is a long time ago, I read a book. Uh, I think I just started college when I read a book that essentially said emotions were the devil and that if I listen to them, then I'm listening to my flesh over the spirit. And I think I, it's funny because I think back to that book and I think about my time going through my discipleship that I've gone through with my two, my two mentors. And I emotional connection wasn't there for most of it. And so I became a very emotionally stagnant person to where recently people have been calling me robot and that I just don't know how to feel. And I used to think they were crazy until I looked at myself in the mirror and realized, oh, nope, they were, they were trying to get me to see something that I didn't want to see. And so we're going to look at that today, and it should be a fun time. Uh, so our itinerary for today is, one, we're going to look at what health is. Two, we're going to look at what spiritual health is. Three, we're going to look at three symptoms that prove to an emotionally unhealthy life or unhealthy spirituality. And then four, we're going to read a scripture that points us to how we can become emotionally healthy spiritually. So that's our itinerary for today. So we're going to be jumping around to a few different verses. And I apologize for not pre-gaming that with you as I normally do. But I'll give you time to look them up. Uh, so that I'm not just reading things that you don't know are there. So to start the question, what is health? Now, this was a, a really interesting uh, definition that I pulled up because normally when you think health, it's either mental or physical, right? Those are the only two that generally come to mind. But if you look at an actual definition of health, it's the physical, mental, emotional, and social well-being of a person. Emotional, I could see people arguing to be in there, but social, I wouldn't think so. 
But in everywhere that I looked for a definition, these were the four common denominators of what health is. Now, some added like intellectual health that falls under mental health, you know, or whatnot. And so this question and this definition starts out the process of if I wish to be a healthy person, which I think we all do, these four areas are the areas that we should focus. Physical, mental, emotional, and social. So now the question, well, we'll get to the next question. So I put up 1 Corinthians here for, this is our goal as Christians, right? Is I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I share, may share in its blessings. And I think this is, this is what drives a lot of people. And it's a good thing that drives us unless we lose focus of our health. And so I share this because for me, when I, when I joined the army and I started going through discipleship, it was go, 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 or I wasn't doing well enough if I didn't have a man, a disciple that I was focusing on. And so what I, what I found, and I, I faced it back then, was if I'm not doing this for the right purpose, I'm doing something that's unhealthy, for myself. And so I think we, I think a lot of people fall into this, this trap of if I say that I'm doing it for God, then it's healthy. That's not always the case. And so I just want us to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this. Because the, the gift of the gospel is eternal life, right? And it's a free gift and it's a good gift. But we can make it into something that's detrimental to our health. And so we're going to look at that spiritually today. And so the question is, what is spiritual health? And if you look through the internet and in the Bible, you won't get a straight definition of what spiritual health is. In my searching, I came across a lot of like Christian medicine or, you know, um, what's it called, uh, like meditation or Buddhism or your, your Reiki. And, and a lot of this, this spirituality to center yourself, but there's no definition, clear-cut definition of what spiritual health is, which I thought was, was interesting. It's not something someone can put their finger on. And so my compiled definition of what spiritual health is from my findings and what I know of scripture is my ability to live by the spirit and how that's impacted. So the question is, how is my ability to live by the spirit being impacted? That is the question if I want to figure out my spiritual health. And I say good or bad because there are things that will help us become more healthy and there are things that will be detrimental to us. And so we did Proverbs 4 this morning for our call to worship. And I want to just touch right back to that. And it says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence. 
for from it flow the springs of life. And so this verse really touches home to God's word and God's teaching being the thing that can be the most helpful for our health. And here it's just health, not spiritual health, not mental health, just health. So this embodies all four aspects, physical, mental, emotional, and social. And then it focuses on our heart. And then the cool part is the last, it says the springs of life flow from it. And so if I want to be in a life that is a flowing life, a good life, this is where I can start. So now we get into the fun part, the symptoms. And now for each of these symptoms, I'm going to share a personal struggle that I have. And then we're also going to look at scripture to see how it backs up to this symptom of unhealthy spirituality has been seen throughout the Bible, but is also able to be overcome by God and his love for us. So these are our symptoms. Using God to run from God. Doing for God instead of being with God. And then covering over hurt. So this last one, this last one compiles two symptoms that are in this book. So this book has 10 symptoms for unhealthy spirituality, which are really good. And at the end of today, if you wish to look at them, I can show them to you. Um, but so in his, in his he has uh, not facing negative emotions like anger or, or strife or, or hurt. But then he also talks about not facing your brokenness, your weakness, and stuff like that. And so I just combined those two because they all go into that one word. If I'm hurting emotionally, I'm probably hurting physically and mentally as well. And so the one that we're going to start with is using God to run from God, which to me is the funniest one because it's the one that I do the most. And I've done it a long time. And so I say funny, not in ha-ha, but as in ironically funny. Because this is something, you know, even a year ago, if you asked me if it was possible, I would have said no. Because if I'm doing something for God, then I must be with God. That's not the case. I've learned that. And so we'll jump into 1 Samuel here in a second if you wish to turn to it. But I'm going to share a story. <clears throat> so when I was in college, uh, my, my last stint at college before graduating, I, my main goal was doing as much ministry as possible on campus. And it didn't matter what I was doing amidst that ministry I just needed to do ministry. And so this led me to all sorts of things. And my claim was always, well, God wants me to to reach people. And so I'm going to go out and reach people and be with people and, and people, people, people. Well, so this looking back now is, is fun to think of. So I used to spend almost every night in my last stint of college at a hookah bar. 
because I didn't sleep much. And I would be there from like 11 p.m. to 2.30 in the morning. And I ended up starting a church at said hookah bar where they would close half of the business for us on Sunday nights. They'd give us free hookah and college kids would come in and we'd smoke hookah and I'd share a message. Well, this started because I would always sit in the same corner at this hookah bar and me and the manager were good friends and anyone that struggled with stuff in life would come sit in my booth and we would talk about life. It was awesome. And so I started to think, I was like, well, hey, I'm meant to reach the law, so no better place than being amongst them at a hookah bar doing something that we enjoy. So I started the church. Well, the church lasted for about a year and a half. And then I started to get really tired, and I started to realize that I wasn't necessarily doing it to shed light on the gospel or, or to, to preach to these people, but I was doing it because I wanted the attention. And so on the surface, it looked like I was, I was running with God and I was, I was going with him and I was on a good path. But inside, I felt like I was getting farther and farther and farther away from God. And now I realize it's because at this point, I was jaded with the church. I didn't like the church at all. And so I was running away from it. And I was using God as an excuse to run away from the church. Because in church, you see a lot of hypocrisy and you see a lot of negligence and you see a lot of hatred instead of love. And in my mind, I was like, okay, well, God wants me to do this. I'm just going to do it on my own. Well, God never calls us to do anything on our own. And so I went off on this journey and I did what I thought I was supposed to do. But I found out that I was doing it not with God. I was filling in my time with godly things, not in line with God. And so, essentially, it just led to me backsliding spiritually instead of moving forward. Right? And so, we see this in 1 Samuel. This is the story of Saul, of King Saul. Right? And if we look at verses 17 to 21, this is right after Saul was sent to kill uh, the Amalekites. And God said, kill everything. Men, women, children, sheep, cattle, like torch it all. Don't save anything. And Saul was like, well, we'll kill all the bad sheep and goats, but we'll keep the nice ones because we'll sacrifice them to God. God, they're going to die anyways, right? So, so this is, we pick up, God had approached Samuel. It was like, hey, Saul disobeyed me. Go talk to him. And so this is where we pick up at 17. It said, Samuel said, it is, not, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of the Amalek, 
and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep, and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And so we see, we see when God gives us instruction, he's very specific, right? And so we see here at the start, Samuel is approaching Saul and he's like, you were once nothing. God made you king. And then when sent on a mission, you disobeyed him. And Saul's response is the funny part. He's like, well, we only did it because we wanted to sacrifice it to you. Because sacrifice back in the day was a very important thing. Well, no, you wanted to take them because you wanted to feel good about yourself. Like, let's be honest here. And so in the same way with my story, sure, I know what God says is go, you know, spread the gospel to all nations and, and reach the lost people. But he also calls for me to be in community with people and do it with others. And that's the part that I decided to leave out and just try and do it on my own. And so for us in our lives, we can often find ourselves doing that where we, we use God as the flag at which we pretend to go and, and act on behalf, but in reality, we're doing it for selfish means. So in his book, this is the first symptom to an unhealthy spirituality. And I think it's one that everyone can say at one point in time, they have done that. And it's just ironic how we can use God to hurt ourselves if we don't do it properly. So the second one is a really interesting one because it's semantics. And I hate semantics because I hate grammar and I hate the English language because it just never makes any sense. Right? And so for here, it says doing for God instead of being with God. So let's just take a second and think, what's the difference? If I do it for God, does that not mean I'm with him? Well, n no, not all the time. Think of, think of as most of us are, are parents, you know, if, if your child just does the dishes, you know they probably want something, right? No, no child just up and does the dishes just because, right? And so while they can say they did them for you, it wasn't because they wanted to make you happy or be with you. It's because they wanted something in return. And so now let's turn that with us and God. Right? This one, again, very comical uh, for me as irony. Um, we're going to be going to Matthew 16 uh, if you wish to turn to that one. I've been using a, a new Bible because I don't have my tiny one. I never realized how the size of a Bible greatly messes your perspective on finding books. Like, my, my old one, I knew exactly where to turn for most things. This one, it takes me 30 minutes to find something. Um, so doing for instead of being with. I, with this one, the hard part is you have to be really honest with yourself as to why you do something. And I think that's what makes this one so difficult. Because I can stand up here and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I, you know, 
bridge house. We do that, you know, for God because God calls us to to reach out to those and and whatnot. Sure, I'm sure there are people there that do it for that reason. I'm sure there are people, and it depends on the day. It, I just I've been feeling down. I'm selfish. I want to go feel like I actually did something. That happens, and that's what makes this one so difficult. And so for me, when I started with ministry, discipleship was ingrained into me from the navigators. If I didn't have a guy that I could claim as my key guy, I wasn't good enough, is essentially the way that they, they make it seem. And so I just, I, I would go out witnessing to people in the PX. I would go out, do some cold turkey evangelism. I would go out and do all of this stuff because I was like, I need a guy so that I can be seen amongst my peers. And so while I'm doing discipleship and witnessing, as that is what I'm called, I wasn't doing it to be close with God, to help God's kingdom grow. I was doing it for self-assuredness, for self-affirmation. To belong to a group of people was my desire. And so I went through a, a, a big, it was probably like a, a three or four month stint. I'm going to, this verse just popped into my head, so I'm going to share it with you. It's Galatians 1.10. If you want to turn, it's only a couple books in the back of Matthew. Um, so Paul, Paul gets confronted by this with people in, in Galatians. Um, and this is his answer, Galatians 1.10. <clears throat> it says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying, trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And that's where I was. I would do things for God because I knew it was what I needed to do, but I didn't do it because of being with God. Right? I had someone ask me a question the other day about living a, a Christian life seems like a bummer because there isn't things that you can do that everyone else can. It's like, well, yeah, that's true, but that doesn't mean it's any less enjoyable of a life. And so he brings up, he brings up a, few, a few things. It's like, yeah, you could. And my counter to him was, if I live as a Christian, but I long to do that stuff, then I'm still not doing the right thing. And I was like, I've, I've done what you've, you've mentioned in the past. And I can tell you right now that living that life is much more less enjoyable than the life that I am currently living. And it's not because I don't do them because God tells me not to. It's because I know when I do them, I'm farther away from God. And that's the kicker. And so here, within, within this realm of doing for and being with, what, what we learn over time, and I think everyone can attest to this, is if I do something fully in line with God, it feels a million times better than simply just doing something for God. How many times have you gotten up and wanted to read your Bible and been like, oh, no thank you. 
or you get done with a long day at work and you're mentally drained and someone wants to come up and have a a spirited conversation with you because they're dealing with something you're like no bro like I just can't right now but you do it anyways and then the whole time you're like when are you gonna stop talking You're doing something simply out of needing to be seen as obedient instead of being obedient. This is a big one that hit me in the face because, as you guys know, I I live in a house full of college people and I sacrifice a lot for them. And I used to think that I did it because... I, I wanted to share God's love for them and, and, and all of that jazz. And yeah, I did, but not so that I could experience God more. It was so that they could see me as a better person. That's not right. And so let's go to Matthew 16. So Matthew 16, 21 through 26. This is... This is Jesus and Peter talking right after Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be crucified. And then Peter steps in. And he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will, will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And the key point is this last part. Because it uses that word for a lot. We're willing to do a lot for something. Age-old commercial, what would you do for a Klondike bar, right? People are willing to do things if it means I get something in the end. God calls us to obedience, not just so that we can have eternal life, but so that we can be with him. And so that, that mindset, that heart, that heart state is very key. And so the question I, w- I want to ask and, and pose here is, think of what it is that you do for God amidst your daily life and really ask the question, is if I'm doing it to be with him or if I'm doing it simply because I'm told to? Because I want others to realize I'm a good Christian. I think you might be surprised with the answers. If you're really honest with yourself. That's the hard part. Alright, so lastly, covering the hurt. Now this one, this one's really tough for me. Um, as you guys know, I've admitted the last couple of times I've spoken, I don't know how to be happy. That's Bottom line, I don't know if it's possible. And I went through a stint where I I let my past control how I felt and my viewpoint, and I realized that that was wrong. 
because of scripture. And then I went to the extreme of just pretending it never existed, which also led to destruction of my own self. And so essentially what I did is I cut off my past where I came from and I cut off my future of being happy and looking forward and I became an absolutely emotionally inept human being. Where my view was my struggles are, are, are worth having if other people were happy. Well, no, God doesn't make us that way. But I also thought, well, I'm angry at this person. God says I shouldn't be, and so I'm just going to, I'm not angry with them anymore and pretend like it doesn't exist. Well, nope, life doesn't work that way. We have to face these things, and if we don't, they just grow and fest inside of us, or they harden our heart to the point to where we can't feel anything, therefore we can't live the way that we're called to. And so for me, there was a bunch of stuff that happened that led to my heart becoming the hardest substance on the planet. And a lot of it was social stuff. My last stint of college, I went from having a a friend group and and a, a core of people around me that I thought were friends to one person. And it was to the point where I would text the other people that claimed to be my friends and I would have my, my one friend, I'm just going to call him Soto. He's, he's the, the friend that I still have. He would text them immediately after and they would respond to him and completely ignore my text and say that they didn't see it. Well, no, if you have a smartphone, which most people do, my message would come up right below and it would give you a notification. So there's no way you can tell me you didn't see it. Or Facebook's the real bad one because they show you when they've read it and then it's silence. It's like, okay, so now I know you're just ignoring me, but if I'm offering to take people out for dinner, you're right there first in line. And so this is where I started to become extremely embittered with people because I lived for what God wanted me to do by loving on people and sharing with people and sacrificing with people in hopes of feeling the blessings and the joy that God promises. But the issue was, is they have taken my ability to feel. They had taken my ability to actually know what God's joy and love is because I had invested so much of it into them. And so coming to terms with that today is, it is terrible to do so. Because I have to face the fact that there are probably people in my life that I have pushed away because they wanted to show me love, but I was incapable of receiving it. Now, mentally, I could talk circles and be like, oh, yeah, no, cool, cool. And I could say that people love me and I could say that I understood it. But if it didn't change or impact my life, did I? The answer is no. And so I covered up this hurt and, and I justified 
my my weaknesses and in, in my my struggles for so long that they just became a part of me. When speaking with guys in discipleship, my common phrase that I would say to them for a long time was, it doesn't matter, everyone sucks at life anyways. We're humans, we're sinful, right? That's true, and sure, do we suck at life at times? Yeah, everyone falls on their face. But that shouldn't be the part that I focus on. But it started to become that because in my heart, I was being embittered and jaded towards people. And it was really, really difficult to come to terms with to the point where at the end of last, last school semester, I quit discipling the guys that I was meeting with because I had realized the persona of God that I was portraying was a negative one and not a loving one. That was my rock bottom. When I came to terms and realized that the God that I was portraying was not a loving father, but a tyrant and one that doesn't actually care, that broke me. Because it's not what I wanted to believe, but it's what my actions pointed to. So if we look at 1 Corinthians, turn to some scripture, good old Paul. We go to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read verses 8 to 10. This is talking about gifts of the Spirit that get bestowed upon us. Verse 8 says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, but the one in the same spirit works all things, distributing to each other individually, just as he wills. So you might be thinking, that's a weird verse to put here. But I chose it because it shows that God chooses different gifts for people to deal with, to live out. Well, it's also because we have different lives, different strengths and weaknesses that we all embody. And if we don't come to terms with those, the question of whether we can truly achieve the gift that he has bestowed upon us comes into play. For me, I, I think a lot of people would, would say that I have a gift of, of leadership and of teaching. Well, if I don't like people or if I can't be personal with people due to being emotionally inept, that means my leadership skills are now zero. It means my ability to teach people is now minimal because I become that monotone professor that everybody sleeps through their class instead of willingly wants to listen to. And I have to face that. 
the guys at crew, the, guy, the guys that lead crew, I had a meeting with them at the start of the semester so that I could apologize to them because of this. Because of, of my brokenness and my hurt that I had led them down a path that led more towards negativity than positivity. And that's not what I should be doing as a leader. I'm sure even here at the church, there are times where it's been like, holy cow, he's going super dark and negative. Everyone could, my, my sermons from when I first started to now are probably much more upbeat than when I first started. It's because I've been going through this healing process this whole time. And it's been a lot of fun. And it's been really cool to look at and to go through. So now the question, oh, I think I was going backwards. Yeah. So now the question is, how do we do this? And we're going to go to 1 Timothy 4. And we're going to read 10 verses, and then we're just going to pray. I'm going to let the verses speak for themselves. First Timothy 4, 6 through 16. And pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for the for it is English is difficult. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Prescribe and teach these things, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which has bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, by the laying on of hands, by the presbytery. Take plans with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourselves and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Let's pray. Father God, we pray to thank you for this message. We pray to thank you for just being healthy and that that is your wish for us. God, I just pray that there is truth shared in the message today and that we could look at ourselves and come to terms with how healthy we are or how, how unhealthy. But God, as it says in Timothy here, that we could apply ourselves to you more. That we could, we, could, we could be in Scripture more. That we could share it with people. We can exhort people and do it all faithfully as you call us to. God, you are a loving Father and you wish for us to be healthy. So we pray that you ask us, we pray that you would help us in this journey. We pray this in your precious son Jesus' name. Amen.